Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. No Dave Cowan this week because for episode 41 I managed to talk to comedy producer Steve Doherty. As you'll hear in the interview, Steve was a radio producer for a decent stretch uh, before ending up producing Have I Got News For You and Nevermind The Buzzcocks. He now lives in North Wales where he still produces comedy, including shows like Meet David Sedaris. And he's also created a conference called The Craft of Comedy, which this year meets at the beginning of March, and um, end of March, beginning of April. So I asked him about that, and together we agree that basically you should be there. So let's get on with the interview. Okay, Steve, thanks so much for being with us on Sitcom Geeks. I say us, it's just me. I'm afraid Dave is uh, not able to make the technology work for us to go on a three-way. Um, thanks uh, for coming. Um, tell us, you're a comedy producer and have been for many years. How, why did you get into comedy? What sort of stuff were you enjoying growing up? What is it about comedy that, that did it for you? It was, there's, I guess, a number of things, really. I mean, <clears throat> it's difficult always, always to sort of pin them down. But they were kind of, comedy was always the thing that linked me, well, on a getting very personal very quickly, was one of the few things that linked me with my dad. So okay. comedy was kind of a thing that we saw eye to eye on and amongst very few other things. But then also at school, it was just one of those things where if you were into, into comedy and if you were into, uh, I mean, let's think, in the I was going to secondary school in the early 80s. So it was Blackadder... And everything to do with Python and yeah. and not the nine o'clock news and even yeah, that because yeah. like it was like because of the way comedy fitted into people's lives or my life certainly was that sort of I remember being that nine o'clock watershed thing where you could start to watch not the nine o'clock news because it was your bedtime had shifted from eight thirty to nine thirty yeah and you suddenly felt I'm watching grown up television and I feel terribly sophisticated. For and me, comedy it was, was the thing. There was point. Mash. I mean, yeah. Mash was a big part. I mean, I love. But Mash. I, I had to go to bed before Mash, and then there was a point where I was then allowed to watch Mash, or the exception was made for Mash. Right. Um, it's you're that so. bit younger than me. I think that's probably, that's probably what Slightly, it would probably... Yeah, we're not doing the maths. There's no need for that. <laughs> um, so, so comedy was just always a, always a thing, a part of my life. And then, say, so at school, it was it was part of the sort of playground rituals in in, in many ways, and how you got. Uh, I suppose I wouldn't ever call myself popular, but then I'm a producer, so producers are never popular. But I was just, you, know, you but you were part of the gang, and you and and you scored points by trying to keep up with with the funny ones, and that's sort of how it worked. My my school, because it was a boys' school, and so we there wasn't an awful lot of distraction beyond what we could find to distract ourselves. If they, if I wasn't, if we weren't getting beaten up, we were trying to recite comedy and we did yeah. um things like reviews i went to a posh school so we did reviews which were oh. you know, some things that we we wrote ourselves and most of it was stuff we'd we wrote we transcribed from that nine o'clock news albums and that kind of thing yeah lots of people got started by just doing verbatim sketches they'd seen either yeah. a, a peter cook and dudley moore sketch or probably my era would be a fry and laurie sketch or something like that 
Ah, right. Well, um, Fry and Laurie was just yeah. We we were they were a bit uh, sort of a bit too too old for that. But I mean, that was when I was at co- college. They they were the thing. But, you could, then, but they wrote sketches that you could just lift and yeah. do because the, if you said the right words in the right order, they basically worked. Because they're so written. That's they all yeah. those sketches were essentially. I mean, were so. And I, I, and ironically, I wonder whether that appeals to, and what led me into sort of the radio end of things, yeah. because they are less about pulling faces and falling yeah. over, and much more about verbal jokes and lists of funny things. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this. That there was one I did at school, and it's, it's. I've never forgotten it because the person I was doing it with. He pulled faces. It was an enormously long list. It was. It, it's a sketch so obscure. It was not nine o'clock news, and it was a whole list of different lagers that were <laughs> that were available to have. Right. Low brow, lubru, lerbru, all very at a time right. when lager also was a thing that lagers and advertising for lager was sort of everywhere. And I was trying to remember this list, and he was pulling faces at me, trying to put me off. And so I've I've now committed that list to memory. I'm I'm waffling enormously. Forgive me. Not at but all. I'm going to cut this down. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, the thing is, the, the, those sketches they do they do work, and that's why. I mean, we're possibly leaping far ahead, but um, the two Ronnies was a really important show for me, sub- particularly subconsciously. Because although I loved Morecambe and Wise, because who didn't? Um, the, the two Ronnie sketches I just knew would sort of work in any context. Yeah, yeah. And, and the and as you were going that list thing there, that reminded me. There's a much forgotten but wonderful sketch where Ronnie Barker lists every single form of mineral water that they have in the pub. Oh right. And it's just a very, very funny long list of, of things. Um, but one of the things I think is what was a thing back then and isn't a thing so much now is you have sketch comedy that works on its own terms without it requiring characters so much. So The Two Ronnies was a great test bed for lots of new writers who then went on to write sitcoms. Whereas now, in the last sort of 12 months, we've had a David Walliams sketch show and we've had a Tracy Ullman sketch show, but they are much more con- they are much more dependent on central performances and characters in a way that those other sketches weren't so do you, is absolutely. that fair do you think i th- absolutely when it, interestingly that ties up with the conversation i was having at the end of last week we had a craft of comedy um steering group uh, meeting in london and we were talking about sketches and what we might do at the event um with regard to sketches and caroline norris who produces um the tracy Ullman show was saying how difficult it's been trying to bring in new writers onto that show, but also, interestingly, working with existing writers because sketches can't just work on their own terms. They have to work for Tracy. What is yes. Tracy going to do in this? How how will Tracy... You know, they are, it is all, all a vehicle for her, and legitimately so. Yeah. But um, but very different to working with say two Ronnies who would who, who who were never themselves as such. They were always somebody else. They were always, mm. even though Tracy Ullman's being people and she's she's being Angela, Angela Merkel and so on. It's still Tracy Ullman being Angela Merkel. Yeah. You see what I mean? I, I think anyway. There's no room for a four candle sketch essentially. No, absolutely is there? Because not. Because if you if you sent them a sketch that was just a classic or just had that a really strong idea and it was executed extremely well, there would be a, well, we, we can't use this because it's, why would Tracy do this? Well... Exactly. 
Because exactly it's funny. That. Well, that's not that's not good enough reason, unfortunately. And that, that makes sense with the, with the logic of the show. It is her show. Same with David Williams. Um, so yeah, no, it is it is an issue. I don't know how we got onto that. So we, we should. Um, so we'll talk about what you were growing up. How did you end up becoming a comedy producer? Because that's quite. We all lots of people loved comedy growing up, and then most of them don't become comedy producers. How did that happen? So I was helping out at the local radio station, and then finished school and went to college and didn't know really what I wanted to do except that I quite liked the media yeah. so did uh, communications and cultural studies at Leeds wow I mean that's they, they, there weren't that many subjects you couldn't really study we out 20 years ago when no, I was starting exactly. there, there wasn't there, there were only about thing. There, there were sort of three or four courses in the in in the UK that you could do communications and in a sort of a, I mean it was a proper academic sort of degree but it was it was sort of it's sort of a, the paramilitary wing of, of sociology, really. What I did, <laughs> the um, paramilitary wing. <laughs> but um, we went. I went to Leeds, and so I was doing studying it. And then one of the college, one of the um, lecturers was working at the BBC, sort of freelance. And she mentioned in passing to a couple of us who had to put this were clearly the ones who were the most interested in in getting a job and get sort of getting on. She yeah. said, oh, they're looking for some people to do some research work, uh, what used to be called in those days casual work, and it would now regard you as freelance, right. uh, to make it dead set posh, um, to do <laughs> some... So, and we got, we got paid, it was what's called West Yorkshire Rewind, and it was a hits and headlines feature every morning, and there were two of us who alternated, so I, we, a sort of fortnight about, and we got £5 per script. So I got £25 right. per fortnight, for spending half a day, three quarters of a day in the library, looking up stories from a particular year in the seventies right. and eighties, finding On out the this stories day and, in... and writing them up. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so weirdly, then I, I that was when I first met a guy called Rory Morrison, who's very sadly passed away since then. He's a, he was an announcer at Radio Four, but he was then a local radio DJ. And it was quite funny. He said to me, he said we always knew when you, we had your scripts, because they're the ones that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's... Exactly. It was kind of a compliment. Yeah. And so I was working there for a bit and then moved from there um, down to Radio 4 uh, in the, the what they call Radio 4 Presentation, which is the, the sort of the hub yeah. of Radio 4, where all the newsreaders work and the announcers and all that, and all the, all the different programme departments that make up Radio 4 sort of come together to actually be broadcast. So I was there for a year... Um, and started, and I, I sort of identified that I was I was interested in comedy, and then used to do the comedy trails. Uh, they used to be given to me because I was I liked doing them. Right. And so yeah, I got sort of chatting with some of the in-house comedy producers, just sort of friendly, really. Nothing, nothing particularly, um, nothing particularly useful. Except I saw an advert about it was about a year or so in. I saw an advert in the. It was in the Guardian, but it was also in internally in Ariel that said they were looking for trainee producers in radio entertainment or radio light entertainment as it was then. And I spoke to two different producers who shall remain nameless. One of whom said, "Don't bother. You haven't got any any appropriate qualifications. You do not belong in this department." That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then another producer who said, you're exactly the kind of person who should apply, you should definitely apply, go away, fill in your form. So I filled in the form that that night, it was the day before it was due in, handed it in, and essentially got the job. I mean, it it was, there were three... Were you then working alongside with the person who told you not to bother? Yes. 
Was that, that in any the, way awkward the... or not really? Or did you laugh about it afterwards? But uh, it, it was never really brought up, except that okay. I, you know, we both, he both he knows who he is, and I know who he is, and <laughs> um, and he's, he's he has had a very successful career as a vibe. So as a so you were a producer, and therefore. Um, uh, because it sounds like you were doing a little bit of writing up until this point with regard to the research and stuff. But did, yeah. you, did you then sort of move more towards producing and you didn't write as much? Yeah, as... I, was, I mean, I, I was never really a comedy writer. I mean, I, I used to do... I, I was In local radio, we, it was the, the period when ev- everybody was a journalist, so you were encouraged to take part and write stuff and find stories and do that kind of thing. Um, and I've always prided myself on being able to turn a sentence around but I'm not. I'm not a comedy writer. I w- I look up enormously to people like you and everyone you know who who calls himself a comedy writer who can be deliberately funny when they want to be. Well, um, it's, because it's, it's all we can do. <laughs> yeah, we can't I mean, you know, organise that, anything else. Can't that's do anything the thing. Else. That's exactly that's so. But there, it, it's absolutely a. And I realised pretty early on that that the successful teams are, come about with the collaboration between mm. somebody who can put words on paper in a funny order and then somebody who can sort of tidy them up and 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 make sure the whole thing sort of moves along and they're very different sort of skills yeah. but you need um, both yeah you do need both and so, some people can do both i mean there are producers who do write i mean and and, and are very very good at it and there are other uh, you know writers who who can get on with most of the production side of things but they're pretty rare those people mm. what tends to be the case is that people are one or the other and then you and and, and it, it's, it's when you get on you, you can generally have a have a, a if you can have a personal relationship or a, a friendly relationship with with a writer you can generally have a good uh, professional relationship as well yeah and that's why it's so important that we often give advice that you, you want to find a producer who likes what you do but who can make it better uh, absolutely can, there's no point having a producer who's just going to say i don't like this i don't get it and it just doesn't see where you're coming from, hmm. and similarly, uh, that's no good for for either either party. You 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 need to work with somebody who who gets what you're doing, yeah. and gets your jokes and your view on the world. Yeah, um, and so as you were presumably producing stuff like uh, Weekending and that kind of thing, I'm thinking about our listeners who are lots of whom are either writers or would like to be writers or would like to be more successful versions of whatever they are at the moment. Hmm. Um, you were presumably working with a lot of people who were starting out uh, early on in their careers. Um, what sort of mistakes did you find them making regularly? Because I suspect they're the same mistakes that people are making today, but maybe for different reasons. Anything, yeah. Does anything leap to mind on that? It's it's difficult, really. I mean, to, to be... to to draw broad brush uh, criticisms, if you like, because I'm sure mm. people do make the same sorts of mistakes. Um, thinking, I didn't do. I, I only ever did one week ending. I, I was only ever allowed to do one of them. I did it with Jane Bertou. I was when I was a trainee, and then I I was I was uh, chivied away from from the radio four and the things. Into radio. I was I did headlines for a long time. Oh, radio okay. Well, that similarly had an open door policy. Oh, completely. It was very it was very similar in that regard, but a very different sort of uh, environment if if you like um nobody on hudlines was there particularly to put the world to rights uh it yes. was much more it was a, a very different sort of atmosphere i suppose and that's perhaps a little unfair on the people who were doing uh, weekending 
Um, but I'm trying to think what, what well, I Well, no, because pro- Roy Hudd comes from the music hall tradition and he, you know, he's made no secret of that. And it was, it was a very different show in tone and approach. Oh, it and was, absolutely. It was, it was, it was, it was none uh, the best, a lot worse less, for it, if you know what I mean. It, it was what it was. A lot, it was a lot less chin-strokey. You know, that was, that was the big criticism of, of radio, of, of, of weekending. <sighs> Depending, it went through phases, but I think it was fair that there were, there were times when it was very, very chin-stroke, and you could go, oh, yes, oh, yes, I can see what they've done there. It's very clever. And, yeah. and the trouble with that is... It doesn't make people laugh, yes. you know. That, and, and there are always going to be divergent opinions on on comedy and what sort of comedy is for in that sense. And indeed, the S word satire, what satire is for, yeah. and and who it's aimed at, and all that kind of thing. But I know that um, when I think about stuff that we would turn down for headlines, it was mostly the thing about headlines was it had sort of this three or even need four layers of editorial scrutiny before moving from the paper to, you know, anyone's ears. I mean, it had yeah. to make... An, a, 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 one of those good editors, there was a guy called Tony Hare and a guy called um, um, uh, Hickey. Oh, God, Pete Hickey. Um, they were the two sort of... They, they used to screen everything that came in. In those days, it makes me sound very old... It wasn't quite pre-email, but it was certainly before the mass availability of email. I remember we, I had there were two commission writers on Hudlines who emailed their stuff in, and that was all terribly cutting edge. Yeah. Um, everyone else either came in, um, bizarrely posted it in. There was actually you could actually yeah. put jokes in the post, and they were opened by somebody. Um, or fa- faxing was that was was the, the most the way we used. Paper, I don't know, hundreds of pages of fax paper every week. Um, but what was I saying is, is yeah, so we had to make, you had to make one of the script editors laugh, and then you had to make me laugh, and then you had to make the cast laugh because it would yeah. it would go through that stage where in in rehearsals we had to you had to work in the rehearsal room, and then it had to make the audience laugh um, in the studio, and so and if it if it got through all those layers then it would be out on, on the radio. Yeah. So th- that was the, five, in many ways... Five hurdles to jump. Yeah. So in many ways, the uh, headlines um, where you went wrong, was it... It wasn't that it wasn't funny, though that always helped, but it had to be in a particular sort of style. And understanding the style of the programme and getting that right is... Um, and that meant what often people went wrong with headlines, for instance was stuff that was too smutty or too easy and too sort of stupid um, yeah. because they underestimated the, the basically everybody involved. Yes. Um, and that was a, a big mistake. And I guess if you're going to draw broad brush advice from that, as I'm sure is the case with Newsjack and that kind of thing now, is that you have to understand the tone of the programme that you are aiming for and understand yeah. that those tones are different depending on different programmes, yeah. and you can't... It is the most annoying thing, having script-edited shows like that with recording for training purposes, when you're sent sketches and you start reading them and you think, I don't know why they've sent us this, that we would never use this. Even if this was funny, we couldn't use it. This is yeah. if they haven't heard the show or they haven't bothered. It's quite disrespectful, actually, in many ways, isn't it? Um, certainly. I mean, there are, there are, there are I mean, 
some of the writers who were involved uh, on Hotlines had been doing had been around for a long time, and they had stories going back to the two Ronnies and all that 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 kind of seventies and eighties era when and this harps back to something we were saying before is that very often sketches could just be moved around from you know if something was turned down by Kenny Everett it would probably be taken on by somebody else mm. um, and they would see stuff with you know with different people's names tipex out and um, and you know and other things bits written written over the top and then people just trying to sell this stuff um, and so it is that is disrespectful in in, in many ways um, but you know. The other thing is that is that sometimes sketches are seen as a, a way in for a lot of people, and, and it really works that way for a lot of people. But sometimes people just are not very good at writing sketches. Sometimes yeah. people uh, will do monologues that are brilliant, or they'll do you know whole you know um, sitcoms or or scenarios you know that, that can be really really great. But working something down to making something with a beginning, middle, and end that is three minutes long. Is a very specific sort of skill, yeah, and, and it is, um, it is one know. of the building blocks for writing sitcoms. But it's not necessarily. I mean, I can't imagine Carla Lane started out writing sketches yeah. for topical. Exactly, uh, I, I don't, have no idea, but I'm sure she didn't. You know, absolutely, mm. it's a uh, that it, it's you know horses of courses, yeah. um, except that sketch shows tend to be the thing that tends to have the policy that allows people gives people a chance. Um, yeah. You know, because I guess for, I just I guess just entirely practical reasons, really. I mean, it all comes down to um, churn. You know, essentially get, getting enough stuff. If you've got a program yeah. like Weekending, which you used to be on every week, it wasn't every week of the year, but it was on a lot. God, it it on, felt like it. <laughs> it was on thirty or forty weeks a year. That's that's a lot of programs to get you know yeah. to get through. Um, Headlines wasn't. It was only ever about twenty five shows a year. That's still right plenty, though, isn't it? It was a lot, a lot. It was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to think of any other, other things that I learned. You know, that might would be useful considering the audience to this podcast. Because well, I mean, have you, in your experience, I, I would imagine that you found that writers who tend to succeed tend to take criticism well and act on it, but also know when to stick to their guns or, or you know those sorts of things. It's there are no real obvious do's and don'ts because sometimes you need to stick to your guns, like the people who made La La Land or whatever it is doing at the moment. Everyone turned it down, and and now it's got a record Oscar nominations. So absolutely, it's such a I balance, isn't it? It is a balance. I mean, I know writers now, and it would be inappropriate to name names, who you know, who some of whom couldn't get stuff on. Hudlines say, but could get stuff on weekending, and that would drive them crazy um, because they thought, well, if I can do this, why can't I do that? And um, other people uh, who I, th- I guess you've had him on here, but I, I say, I went, you know, there are people who 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 are, can do who can throw so many jokes out, who are so creative and make so many jokes. And what I had to do, I remember doing on a regular basis, was. Are we are we is this a, are we a sweary podcast or are we not a sweary? Yeah, podcast? Yeah, fine. Only because some writers have got no sh- they've got no shit meter, they've got right. no they've got no they've got no skill of working out. This is a joke. Is it a good joke or a bad joke? But but sheer quantity of material. And so you and there was one writer in particular who has got had a magnificent career, who still has got no shit meter. 
Um, and still, he, he will provide you with 40 jokes on a, on a topic, you know, 10 of which are really good, you know, 10 of which are uh, okay, and 20 of which are terrible. But yeah. you ask him which are the good ones and which are the bad ones, he doesn't know. He just, it's amazing, just, isn't it? That the, the, just the brain idea that can just... produce the really good ones. Because how can you not see that this is a terrible, a terrible joke, and that this it, it is very confusing, isn't it? But it's just that's that, that that's that's him his his own personality and the raw creativity that that drives him. That's just the that's kind of the way the way he is. It's just yeah. it's just like it's it, he fires jokes like a, like a machine gun, bang 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 bang. Yeah. Um, I and, suspect it's a question of knowing what kind of writer you are, how you work. And again, going back to finding a producer, finding someone that you can work with who brings the, who knows how you work and brings out the best in you. Yes, yes. I'm sure there are people that that person I'm thinking of has worked with who haven't got the patience or the, I don't know, will, I suppose, um, to to see it through. Um, and... You know that's it's, that's that's when you work out who your professional and creative relationships are best served by. That's mm. you know, and they're, 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 it's only through trial and error really that you you get there. I think. Yeah. Um, you uh, so you had this uh, you for the BBC um, and also you worked for uh, I'm going to say Hattrick because uh, you produced. Have I got news for you? Yeah. Is that right? Yes, yes, hat trick. That is right. Um, but uh, you now do not live in the cultural centre of the universe, London. But you now live in North Wales. Yes. Um, uh, how did how did that come about? It, it feels like you've packed it all in and moved to the country. Um, but that, I realise it's probably a bit more complicated than that. Kind of. It's not an awful lot more difficult than that. I mean, essentially, the the the, the thing that people sometimes forget is that is that people with professions also have actual lives. You know, with actual uh, with actual families and actual and actual decisions that you take that that are not always just directed around your work. Yeah. Um. So that that's my story. It's no, it's no sort of secret. We were, I was doing. Uh, I met my wife at the BBC. We didn't work together, but we both worked at, at the corporation. Uh, she left, and then I left, um, and I was working in telly. So I've moved from radio into television was doing have i got news for you and then i did buzzcocks um during which time uh we met and got married and had our first child and then our second child came along a lot quicker than we anticipated so we had we had two children under two and i was doing buzzcocks and let me assure you that doing shows like buzzcocks and have I got news? Are brilliant as long as you don't have children. They, right. do, they children and television don't broadly mix anyway in terms of in terms of comedy and just the demands that that are on you. And when you want to be modern dad and all that kind of thing and be there and not have this sort of slightly old school relationship where you you go to work and you know you turn up again when when you've finished. Your child is sent into your study and calls you sir. Well, exactly. That's <laughs> that was never going to happen. Yeah. With me, and so okay, long story very short, we had two children very quickly. Van, my wife, had been um, on maternity leave essentially for two years, was crawling the wards to get back to work because she's a really smart woman who you know had a very good career. And I got really fed up of television. I think I was exhausted from mm. having children and trying to do topical comedy. 
um, and doing Buzzcocks, which is now Buzzcocks R.I.P. in the days of uh, Mark Lamar, with whom I got on very well, actually, um, was very demanding. And you get to the point you just go, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So we had this conversation and we said, okay, I'm going to, I said, why don't you, you can go back to work and I will stop working for a bit and let's just do a swap. Yeah. And Van went back to work in London and I was looking after the children for a bit. Then she got a call she couldn't refuse and and we were off, and she was offered a job in, in Wales. Um, we were going to move to Cardiff and... Uh, all set, and about six weeks before the job was supposed to start, they rang my wife up and said, you know that job we offered you in Cardiff? Now, you still got the job, that's fine, but we're going to move it to North Wales, is that okay? <laughs> is that okay? Uh, well, exactly, <laughs> that was pretty much the conversation, and we were going to say no, and then a friend of ours said, well, hang on a minute, just go and have a look first. We Neither of us are particularly knowledgeable of North Wales. Uh, we'd both been, but we had never lived here. And so we came separately on two different weekends. The first uh, weekend, my wife went, went up from from London um, and we deliberately didn't discuss it in, bet- in between time. The second weekend, I went up, came up, fell in love with the, where we live, found a house and went home again. I said, we're moving and I found a house. And it was, I was sort of joking, but yeah. I'm, sitting in, I'm sitting in that house now. So um, <laughs> it sort of worked out. And it's also because of where it is, um, it's on the main line into London, on the main train line. So it's you know, when we lived in Buckinghamshire, I used to work, I used to travel two hours in and out to London every day to do buzzcocks. And now, through the beauty of digital and electronics, I mean, yeah. I go to London every few weeks. It takes about three hours yeah. there and three hours back, which is, you know, not what you want to do every day, but every few weeks, it's no big deal. It's fine, yeah. And you're going to yeah. tell work done on the train. I'm the same in Somerset. Uh, you know, it's a two hours twenty on the train. It's like, oh, do you want a hyper? Do you want a hyper fast speed train? No, not really. I get quite a lot of work done. I sort of depend yeah. on it. Oh, and to be honest with me, I, I, it gives me lots of thinking time. I catch up with stuff to watch. I do a bit of reading and just stare out the window thinking about stuff. Yeah. Which, when you work at home, which I do mostly, actually you don't get as much of because you're either you're distracted doing something or you're distracted by doing something else. Or you're actually, doing the housework or you're emptying the dishwasher. Sort of, as, as yeah. you can do. There's there is a thousand one ways you can you can you know distract or you know you can postpone yeah. doing the thing you've actually got to do, but even even then it's that 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 blank minded thinking thing that thing that commuting gives you time to do and yeah. weirdly which I don't do anymore. My my commute is you know fifteen seconds from upstairs yeah. to downstairs, um, and so I weirdly. When I, we've got a place in London, and so occasionally I do stay and do go on the tube, and it, obviously the tube is the tube, but it does give you that that blank time where you you're just yeah. you 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 just go oh that's a thing, yeah that weirdly you don't get otherwise. Or let me speak speaking personally. Yeah, anyway. no, I think it, it, from a writing point of view as well, it's it's very similar in terms of just making space for your brain to pop things out that you didn't know it was going to pop out. Exactly. And if you're constantly doing, you know, if you're constantly on a tube train or looking after your kids or sitting in an office being paid by the day to write jokes, you you lose quite a lot of that um, that sort of background stuff that your brain it's, does. It's, it's that random thing where, where your brain just goes 
and throw something out and you go, oh, that's... In, that. and even that's if it's Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, so well, so, like, so when you see point... something, just it's, it's those sort of random stimuli that you yeah. don't necessarily get when you're sitting at a computer or sitting, um, you know, um, doing yeah. stuff in the house. So at one point, your brain uh, spat out an idea to hold a comedy conference in North Wales. <laughs> and what you've very cleverly done is made the entire comedy community from London come up to North Wales and come to your place, which I well, think is a very neat move. Um, how, how did that? How did this comedy conference, which is in uh, April, first uh, of April, in fact, isn't it? Or the March? Yes, the, 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 the Saturday is the, is the first, and the Friday the 31st is the first of it. Yeah. Um, Long story very short again, uh, living up here, I took a break from comedy because I felt I needed to and because um, because my family were very rooted to where we were living and were involved in the local community, either through school or through work, and I realised that I wasn't. Um, and so I thought I, I, I thought, thought I I'm going to take a break from, from entertainment because at, at that time I was working for a Cardiff based production company but I was sort of working in the north for them so mm. I made also I was doing radio and some television for S4C um I don't speak Welsh but I was working with with Welsh speaking producers mm. and I made a film for BBC4 for them uh, it was on BBC1 in Wales it was a really nice little comedy film with Mark Watson oh. um and I decided that I that I would like to try and get myself more closely embedded with the community that I was living in. And so I, a job came up uh, working for um, a hospice. It's, I mean, it is on, on one level, a very, I mean, a complete diversion away from my own sort of world. But in, in many ways, it, it, it's not. It's, it was a project management job, which is what a producer's job is in yeah. many ways. It was about looking after people and money and making sure things happened and having some good ideas. And so um, when I was working there, I thought to that, I said to them, well, maybe I could try and use my connections and friendships in the comedy world to try and do some useful stuff to raise some money. So Mm -hmm. we did two, for two years, I did two weekends of uh, benefit stuff. So we had... Paul Merton came up and Jill Jupiter's and Marcus Brigstock and David Sedaris. They all did a turn and we, we, mm. we sort of organised it with a local theatre. So it was like a, it was like a, effectively, it was like a fairly, um, you know, everyday oh, sort of comedy festival. Yeah, it was a little yeah. uh, over a weekend. Okay, right. But yeah. all benefit, everyone did it for nothing, all we raised yeah. money. And, it, and it, that worked really well. But on the second one of those... I just thought it'd be interesting to do a thing about comedy rather than that was performance. It was actually about how it worked. And I asked a few people, friends, Dirt Mags, John Rolfe, Kate Haldane, um, and me. They were, yes, that's right. And we just did little talk, uh, little talks. I mean, sort of half an hour talks. We, we, we ran it as a sort of tiny mini conference. It took about three hours. And um, we came out of it and we thought, that was really good. Everybody mm. involved sort of went, that was really interesting. And we had a very small audience, but we thought then there might be something in that. And so it took a couple of years, and me working with the, the venue here, Venue Cymru, in Atlanta, and they, uh, we worked out that we could get some funding, and we thought it would be a good idea. And we started off very small, 
And over the years, it's grown and grown and grown. And this year is far and away the biggest uh, event that we'll have done. It's two full days, lots and lots of different things happening and aimed squarely at comedy, but as in the industry of comedy. Yeah. So people who are already practitioners, so that's writers, producers, directors, commissioners, all taking advantage of the fact that there's an interesting thing happening in North Wales and we're going to the going to the seaside for the weekend. Yeah. Um, and aspirants to any of those roles. Yeah. So people who want to get into comedy writing or to improve their comedy writing or indeed to meet people. It's interesting as a thing, and forgive me for getting onto any sort of hobby horse here. Not at all, please. It's it's genuinely it's as much social that the whole thing, I mean, there were two days full of different things and workshops and screenings and talks and so on and so forth. But as much of it, anything else, it's about the sociable nature of comedy. Comedy yeah. is broadly speaking, quite a sociable beast. Uh, people like to be, to find other people who share a sense of humor, who, who share an interest in the way comedy is made. And that's as much about craft for comedy as, as, as anything else, really. You know, it's it's not... We pride ourselves in it not being like the Edinburgh Television Festival and that kind of thing, which is quite sort of... quite straight-laced and sort of sees itself as very important. Yeah. Whereas we see ourselves as being fun and useful. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like also, to think maybe fun, we could be important. Everybody there is a fan of comedy, as you say, and it's it feels like it's a thing because I was obviously there last year and it felt like everyone who there loves comedy and just wants comedy to do well on yeah. TV, on radio and live and all these different... And in new formats yet to be discovered or created. And I, I think that really comes across in the... You know, it feels like getting away from London really helps with that and just being in a slightly random town in the north of Wales... Exactly. I mean, it's, it's absolutely... I mean, it is, it is here. There have been lots of reasons. But why is anything anywhere in, in many senses? I mean, I could have... I, I thought this was a good idea. I thought it would be a fun thing to do. But if I'd said, let's do it in Manchester, it would have just been another thing in Manchester. Yes, or in, and it might have been swallowed up by now by something else or... Absolutely. Yeah. And what... And, and this sort of... It sort of works as a location. Hmm. It's a really nice place. It's a very relaxed and sort of friendly place, um, but it's also it, it's just and it's but it's also accessible. It isn't actually uh, that far from anywhere. I mean, if you, especially if you're in the if you're not in, I mean, if in London it's three hours. I mean, yeah. I admittedly, if you're travelling from De- you know from Cornwall or you're travelling from you know the north of Scotland, it's quite a long way. Yeah. But then, but it can get you. What well, it can take you two hours to get across London anyway, though. Well, if if you exactly. held it in Essex and you lived in. Uh, you lived in Hampshire. Well, that's three hours. <laughs> that, that's that's the thing. That that's also a thing that that living this end of the M6, you sort of forget. Is mm. you, you know you 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 forget how far it, how long it can take to get from A to B, even in in somewhere that's you know on a map that's that's only two inches away. Yeah. Um, and it's, I would recommend it to people, as much as 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 anything else, it's just an opportunity to go. I am not alone. You know, yes. I, the, 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 the uh, comedy and comedy writing can be a very isolating experience. And interestingly, with with the world of television writing, 
you, and and there are teams and there are people who do work together fairly regularly, but an awful lot more people who are like proverbial ships in the night. Yeah. Just, so you, you'll see each other or you'll, there'll, be, there'll be some event or other that you both turn up and you go, oh, hello, I haven't seen you since, blah, blah, blah. What I want, I'd love this to become, is yeah. to become a venue or a, an event where you go, oh, well, we should go to that. That's, yeah. That was nice. That was good. And I, and we can, I can see you at that. And you yeah. can go for a drink or you can not drink or you, whatever you want. You have a chat. You can go for a walk. You can do... There's so many things to do. Yeah. And then you can... And, also, and I think... And I think you're... Because we are now able to... Work, you know, I'm able to work in, in Somerset mostly and I go up to London once a week. Um, but also the people who write for Newsjack now, they, they don't go in. They, they email their sketches in. Yeah. So I think comedy if you're really serious about it it you you actually find yourself it's quite hard to meet other people rather than just friends down the pub who like a laugh that's not quite the same is it um absolutely not that's and, Ed- and edinburgh is different as well because if you go to edinburgh it is very much about the writer performer yes and it's very much about a, a particular form of comedy uh, which is great and you know edinburgh is, is amazing but this feels like it's for the comedy writer and the the people who love comedy as as well as the producer or director and but it's people who love comedy rather than the Edinburgh thing, which is completely different again, I think, isn't it? It's it's much less I mean, Edinburgh is great, but it's very commercially focused and it's about, you know, doing your show, um and it was um Joel Morris said that he liked coming to Atlantino because it felt like the Pleasant's courtyard but without it costing you six thousand pounds having to put on a show, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it was yeah. it was fun and interesting and yeah. opportunity, and you never quite knew who you were going to meet, and um, there was a slightly random element to it, and also just because it is in a slightly random place, uh, and I've always been of the position that interesting things happen on the margins. Yes, um, yeah. you know uh, w- because. Uh, at the centre of things, it's all very focused and very, very clear as to as to why we're here. Whereas the interesting things, as I say, happen just on the edges, just on that mm. periphery, and there is no more. But just on the on the on the and on the second drink because nobody has to go home because everyone's staying over. Yes. So what do you want to go to bed for? We're all we're all here. Let's uh, let's talk. And absolutely. you'll discover that somebody else remembers that one episode of a show that you thought everyone had forgotten. You know what I mean? Oh, finally, I found someone else who remembers the much forgotten bit. Of, you know, and it's it's a it's a fan thing as well as a creative thing. Completely, as a fan thing. That's that I'm I'm looking for because I've done it for the past few years. But this year, Jason and Joel are doing the quiz ah. on um, on the Friday night. Jason and Joel do do a mean quiz. I've I've been at their quizzes firsthand, and they. I've never yeah. see. I've never. I've only ever heard of their quizzes <laughs> rather than actually. But so, but they're, they're doing a comedy <laughs> a comedy quiz this year, which they're hosting. Yeah. So I can take my hosting hat off for yeah. for an evening which i'm looking forward to yeah. um but um but that's fun it, that yeah. is you know um uh very much i'm I, i'm i'm trying not to use the word anarchy what i'm trying to say is in, in the enthusiast it's, it's about yeah. people who love this topic you know it's about yeah. it's about this and and and, and appreciate how broad it is and how yeah. many facets there are to it yeah and on top of that, you've got comedy commissioners and controllers coming and producers and all yes, kinds absolutely. of people. Where can people um, find out more about all this? Well, you can find out the most obvious thing to, to do is look at the Venue Cymru website. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's V-E-N-U-E-C-Y-M-R-U, Venue Cymru, 
www.craftofcomedy.co.uk. If you and Google Craft of Comedy Conference, you you'll can probably Google find craft, it. Craft, craft of Comedy or Craft of Comedy, Atlantic No. Craft of Comedy, um, not, yeah. Yeah, or you'll find, you'll find us on Facebook and yeah. Twitter, obviously. I will also, um, if you listen to the show, we'll put a, we've already put some links to it, I think, on our Facebook page. We'll, we'll put some more up uh, as well so that people can, can find it that way and get your ticket. There's an early bird race at the moment as well, isn't there? So if people there book is by the, what date? The oh gosh, they put me on the spot there. Oh, okay, book, it's, get, it, book now and it'll be slightly cheaper than if you book later. Absolutely, I think it's the yeah. it's the middle of February. So there's, there's a good okay. few weeks. Uh, yes, I, I've uh, but get your skates on because the middle of February will come by fast. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm hoping to come and just turn up and just have have a nice time. Um, I don't uh, Dave can't, but um, but there'll be so Jason and Joel. Obviously, we're doing there with their famous quiz, but there are loads of wonderful people there. So well, there's um, lots I'm of them. Really uh, I mean, we've got the best place to, to look at is is the website or the or the social media feeds. But there yeah. are lots of different people coming. Uh, at all sorts of different levels, with all and some of it very specific. Some sessions are very specific and very ge- geared at people who want to learn. We're doing a session on the sitcom family, for instance, building a, oh. building the notion of a, of a family in sitcom, that kind of thing. And then through to broader discussions on sketch shows, broader discussions on the state of satire and topical comedy, and that sort of thing. So, so it it's, it it hopefully tries to address interests. From the from the specific to the very broad, so that that that's that's it's that's the idea behind it anyway. Brilliant. Well, people can uh, find out about that. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. And um, uh, we will. Sp- well, I will see you uh, in Llandudno uh, in April. Indeed. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks very much. Bye bye. So that's Steve Doherty. You can see him and me, hopefully, at the Craft of Comedy at the end of March. Um, Look on our Facebook page for links to that. And also you can look on our Facebook page to get in touch with us, uh, leave us a message there or email us. If you like it, you'll be kept up to date with anything that develops sitcom-wise. We are also at sitcomgeeks at gmail.com. So send us an email if you have ideas about what we should talk about. Do let us know if you have ideas for that. And also if you have ideas for a venue where we could record an episode in front of an audience for our 50th podcast, that would be very handy. I guess the venue will probably need to be in London. So sorry if that's uh, frustrating for some. I don't live in London either, so I feel your pain. The next podcast is very exciting because for episode 42, we thought we'd better talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which we will do a little bit. And who better to do that with than one of the Grand Dukes of Comedy, John Lloyd, who was also involved in the first series of Hitchhikers and talks quite openly uh, about that and how difficult it was when he wasn't involved in the second series. It's an absolute belter. Um, So if you want to support this podcast, buy my book, Writing That Sitcom, which you can find uh, on my blog, sitcomgeek.blogspot.com, or buy Dave Cohen's book, How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy, um, that's a uh, really good book. Do I really recommend that. DaveCohen.org.uk or leave us a nice review on iTunes. That would be good of you to do that. So that's all from us. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>